1: you
2: Hey everyone, my name is Christian and welcome back to Throughline, the podcast where we try to find the concept in non-concept albums. It's been a long couple of weeks. I just got back from vacation and can think of no better time to be talking about this episode's album, the subversive party pop record, Melodrama by Lord. Yes, we went from a mid-80s prog rock album by a Canadian power trio to a late 2010s pop album by a New Zealand teenager. I mean, we're, we're covering huge swaths of the musical lexicon on this podcast and have plans to continue stretching out into the wealth of genres and styles available to music fans today. This won't be our last journey into pop, and it won't have been our last journey into rock. Now, you may be surprised to know that as much as I'm a fan of Rush and especially Power Windows, I'm a huge fan of melodrama as well. It is an incredibly rich and layered tapestry of lyrics and musicality, a very detailed and delicate mixture of Lorde's unique voice and Jack Antonov's ear for restraint. This was Lorde's second studio record, the follow-up to her breakout hit Pure Heroine," and it sees her branching out of the topics of viewing fame and wealth from afar and more actively living in it. She was just 18 to 20 years old while recording the album, and had already seen herself caught up in a whirlwind of, quote, heavy drinking, unquote, and partying because of her status and fame gained after the initial album, as well as the toll taken on her after her three-year relationship ended midway through the writing process. This is critically the highest-rated album of hers, with an aggregate Metacritic of 91 out of 100, a full 12 points higher than her second-highest-ranked album, Pure Heroine*. Melodrama has also gone two times platinum in New Zealand, platinum in Canada and Australia, and gold in the U.S., selling at least half a million copies worldwide. It also peaked at number one on the charts in all four of those countries, and as of 2020 was ranked 460th on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time, which is arguably not the most accurate measurement, but worth noting nonetheless. For those who don't know who Lord is, especially noting anyone who routinely announces that they haven't listened to the radio in X amount of years, you know who you are. She is a New Zealand native singer-songwriter that began writing and performing music in her early teens, signing with Universal when she was just 13 in 2009. Following the release of her first EP, The Love Club, in 2012, the single Royals rocketed her into the spotlight, garnering herself an intensely devoted fan presence in the following years. She has released three albums to date, as well as three EPs. Numbers on her total album sales are hard to come by, but she has 5 million as of 2017, likely a bit higher by this point. But she has nearly 4 billion streams on Spotify alone. She's toured three official tours and has over 300 performances worldwide already. And finally, she has won two Grammys and a bevy of other awards, making her altogether one of the more decorated female pop artists. And she's still now only 25 years old. She's literally like 23 days older than me. Now we covered this a bit last episode, but I think it's important to cover again here. You may be wondering, well, what's the point? It's just a pop album. They're all the same. I've heard it a million times. It's just about drugs and sex and partying. The beats are empty and recycled and it adds nothing new to music or my life. Well, As always, we want to avoid being reductive on this podcast. All art exists for a reason, and especially if something is popular, there must be a reason for it being so. There's intention behind everything, whether noticed by the creator or not. Nearly nothing is created randomly, and as such, there are decisions made, and these decisions lend a sense of ownership and texture to the art that might otherwise have been viewed as smooth and frictionless. Simply throwing away an entire genre of music for the sake of the appearance of emptiness or the belief in its vapidity, whether this be about pop music or country or metal or beyond, disallows the possibility that that thing could have something useful to say about life or yourself. It's okay to have preferences and to like the things you like, but simply discarding an entire section of something because it has been said to fit loosely into that selected section is not ideal and can lead to a culture of bias that extends even beyond music. It's okay to have tastes, but it starts to become a bit unfair when those tastes act as sectional absolutes. And yes, this can be used as an allegory for other things as well. It is probably pretty close to universally applicable. So, I mean, hopefully, now that we've gotten a bit of an introduction into Lord and the album itself, we can start to dig into the real meat of its story, and find out exactly what the point of this poppy mumbo-jumbo is on this week's episode of Throughline. Welcome to Melodrama.
1: Oh,
2: I've written and rewritten this episode a few times now. It has escaped me for a moment, this ability to capture a particular idea defined within a body of work, within Lord's melodrama. Every time I feel I'm one step closer to discovering the point, the more I realize how much I'm missing. Each day I step away from the attempt and each day I come back to start anew, burying the old script, a little death of consciousness, a stretch of time in my life that I had passion that has been rendered meaningless or even just sour by the new knowledge and insight I have now. If I were to tomorrow look back on this, I may think the same thing. But then again, there's a chance I may have found some semblance of coherence, if ever so brief, in the shattering noise of life. And what I have found is not only insight into the album, but also, perhaps, some insight into myself. I am, to some, still quite young, I'm only 25, and there's a bit of learning and growing I've still yet to do before I'm in a position where I don't actively notice myself becoming a different person. I look back on the person I was in college, and even in high school, and chastise my past self. Wondering how I could have been so this or so that. Wondering how I could be the same person now that I was back then, and realizing somewhere along the thought process that I am not the same person that that version of myself has been shed, lost in the desert wasteland of my young adult life. And that's kind of what a lot of us do in that period of our lives. Much like reptiles shed their skin when they grow too big for their current self to contain, so do people face experience and events, trauma and milestones that forge them into newer, more realized versions of themselves, bigger and more defined. And no more so do we find that molting than during our late teens and early 20s, the time in our life that we start to be allowed, whether or not justifiably, to make our own decisions and really come into who we are and lay the groundwork for who we will be. This is the point at which we find melodrama, a pop album by all rights, covering heartbreak, love, partying, drugs, yet also firmly self-aware and retrospective enough to understand both the pros and the cons of this lifestyle and how it went into carving occasionally violently the main character just listen to the middle verse of homemade dynamite and notice the irony especially in its last line
1: I get your friends to drive but he can hardly see Ooh. We're partying. So let's let
2: things come out I guess we're partying. We'll come back to this idea of irony and self-awareness, but for now let's shift gears. I stated the presence of a main character throughout the album, someone whose storyline is apparent in each song. But the structure of this album in regards to it being the story of a specific character, possibly Lord herself, is quite bizarre. Let's break down the story and themes in the first few songs to begin our search into finding the true pattern of melodrama. Green Light is our opener, a song that very abruptly begins with Lords singing. There's no musical introduction to the album. This is very clearly lyrically driven. The song chronicles the main characters. From now on we'll just say Lords regardless of whether that's 100% true or not. The song then chronicles Lords' experience with a recent heartbreak that she is trying to forget looking for the green light, the sign in her life that she can move forward and past what happened. The second song, Sober, pendulum swings back and forth between two phases in a relationship, one where she is unsure of the future of the relationship, yet almost naively defiant of anyone else achieving the same passion in their own relationships, and one where she is acutely present of the destructive codependence they fostered. Homemade Dynamite is a song exploring the beginnings of a new fling, one built on presenting idealized versions of oneself in the hopes of ensnaring love. Love that is then bombarded with self destructive tendencies that ignite through collateral detonation. Right, so, heavy themes aside, we're jumping quite a bit through time. From the end of a relationship and its fallout to the nearing of its end to the beginning of one, it seems like we're moving backward in time. But these are just the first three songs. The following song, The Louvre, is squarely about the middle of the relationship, running through the lyrics in present tense, like, I call and you come through, or I am your sweetheart psychopathic crush. In fact, with the organization of the songs on the album, this is the order of the songs in terms of if they cover the beginning, middle, or end slash after the relationship. End, middle, beginning, middle, end, 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 middle after. So yeah, there's a few weird things here and an absolute pattern beginning to form. Let's actually focus on the pattern first. There's a movement here from skating around the middle of the relationship, a pendulum swing from the end through the beginning and back to the end before we're stuck here for the rest of the album. One interpretation of this could be a kind of a reference to the processing of the events, in some ways a mirroring of the five stages of grief. At the end of the relationship, she works herself backward in time through the beginning before gaining some insight that helps her dig back out into the present, looking at it all from that point on as past and unwinding it from that safer space. Now, for the first four songs, a good majority of the lyrics are caught in this romance, tying up herself in the drama and toxicity present. She's reliving these pains, the poor decisions she made in these moments and trying to rationalize why it happened and why it continued. Listen to the second verse of the Louvre and notice how she flips back and forth between using condemning language, like sitting in hell, and rationalizing language like hanging their love in the Louvre.
1: I think progresses. i calling you, come through. Blow all my friendships to sit in hell with you. But we're the greatest. They'll hang us in the Louvre. Down the back, but who cares? Still the Louvre.
3: Okay, I know but
2: in liability, there's a new idea that begins to resonate through the rest of the album. One of self-healing and self-love which begins to build out this idea of a safer space. Liability itself is not a happy song. At this point, she feels broken, beaten, and discarded, truly lacking the love of any of the people she thought she knew, except for herself. Listen to this portion of the song's first verse. So I guess I'll
1: go home Into the arms of the girl that I love The only love I haven't screwed up She's so hard to please, but she's a forest fire. I do my best to meet her demands, play a romance. We slow dance in the living room, but all that a stranger would see is one girl swaying alone, stroking a cheek. They-
2: There's almost a playful and peculiar ambiguity here that nearly suggests the love of another person before twisting the story back around and revealing that the arms of the girl that she loves are her own arms, one girl swaying alone, stroking her cheek. It almost seems to suggest that this is the beginning of this idea of self-care, almost that she is more able to believe in the idea of her being gay, an idea that isn't explored through the rest of her body of work than the idea that she could still love herself after all of this. This is, after all, an album of growth. Just like the molting we talked about earlier. She begins a new streak of self-love and self-acceptance, despite what happened. From this point on, she shifts a bit further away from talking about the relationship, and instead starts weaving this theme of self-care into a fabric that also critically comments on the violent culture she was privy to during that time and as such, it is not only an album of growth, but also an album of trauma, and especially one of violence. When listing the songs and their placement in the chronology of a relationship, I completely skipped two songs, Sober 2 and The Liability Reprise. This is largely because these two songs do not mention her relationship at all. Rather, they are specifically about that violent culture. Violence is an overwhelming theme in this album, all the way from Green Light, where she hopes that the great whites bite you, to the gunfights and how they kiss and kill each other in Sober 2, all the way through the end, with lyrics like, spill my guts beneath the outdoor light, or I'll blow my brains out to the radio in perfect places. And it would be easy to relate all the talk of violence to that critical look at the world she was in, as we mentioned before. The selfish, sinful, dangerous, foolhardy debauchery of young adult life. But this is being reductive. This isn't telling the whole story. Listen to this section of the Liability Reprise, a bit of a half-song near the end of the album that transitions into the final song.
1: Maybe all this is the party. Maybe the tears on the high as we breathe. Oh no. Maybe all this is the party. Maybe we just do it five.
2: Maybe all this is the party. Maybe we just do it violently. Again, Lord is being very self-aware here, but she's also giving the violence texture, which she does time and time again through the album. Violence swings from a threat in Green Light to an inevitability in Sober, a signifier of their generation in Hard Feeling's bonus song Loveless, to Boundless Passion in Supercut. For better or for worse, violence here is used mostly as emphasis, as an exaggeration of the theme, and we can really see this idea come into play if we look at the album as a whole, and especially its title. What is melodrama exactly? For many people, melodrama is typically heard more often as its adjective, melodramatic, a word that has become nearly synonymous with cheesy or overblown, sensitive or needlessly emotional. We use it as an insult, as criticism, inasmuch that a lot of people use pop music as derision or scorn, a meaning separate from its definition that is used to describe something simply so one can easily dismiss it. But what does melodrama actually mean, and what does it have to do with the context already described? Melodrama, historically, was used to describe artistic work, a genre, if you will, that purposefully emphasized emotional sentimentality overdeveloped characterization. Rather than a character study, melodramas were emotional study, often attempting to abstract concerns of love, relationships, and morality into their pure emotional forms. And what parts of our lives involve more raw emotion than these ideas? So we start to see a little of the texture here. The parodical nature of very specifically pointing out the album as emotional and using the connotative meaning of overblown drama to immediately lend the album a sense of yearning, inherent pleading that is echoed in the sentiments throughout. The album is actively beckoning the listener to focus on the raw emotion of the songs and their story. But the title is a little misleading too. It's a play on itself and lends an uneasy tension over the whole thing. This album is not simple, it is layered and dense. It is not just bombastic, it is often also incredibly tender. We see this echoed in the album artwork, especially through the many pages in the lyric book. The album cover is a delicate and stylized painting of Lord lying in bed, the canvas a blurring of blues and soft orange and reddish-purple light that paints across her face and neck. She looks at the viewer, her gaze stern and pointed, harsh against the soft tones of the painting, a furthering of the dichotomy. The lyric insert book is a mixture of surreal and harshly lit photographs of Lord in vulnerable states. The swimming pool, a sheer dress, blurred to oblivion. There is violent loudness here, juxtaposed against tender softness and vulnerability. This, in turn, is mirroring the growth of the character throughout the album. So we almost have a complete picture here, but we're missing one key idea, We see that violence and melodrama are used as vehicles to describe the relationship and the heartbreak, the partying, and the risks. But why violence? Well, in some ways, violence is rebellion. Rebellion against adulthood, against the march of time, and especially against the fear of being alone and what it means to live with yourself and for yourself. And in some ways, violence in order to find some sense of belonging or completeness in a hostile world. But listen to the ending of Perfect Places, the last song in the album, and hear Lord lament about this fight.
1: All the nights spent off our faces Trying to find these perfect places What the fuck are perfect places Anyway
2: It seems that the final breath of the album is a decisive blow to this idea of chasing an unattainable ideal, especially one that damages you in the hopes of attaining. Thus, violence is kind of an inevitability, one that you either use or get used by, because there is a culture, a coordination, cult-like, around attaining perfection. Much like power, as mentioned in the last album, violence begets control. But it is volatile and self-destructive, with the only avoidance being a push towards self-care and self-awareness. So, all in all, we come to a point where we have a complete idea of the album. We have finally arrived at its throughline. Melodrama is the story of a girl in the ruins of a toxic heartbreak, imperfectly learning to find self-worth and significance in an increasingly violent and indifferent world. More abstractly, the album is about navigating and dissecting trauma to become a better person. Not free from pain, but understanding of it. And, well, we have arrived! We've torn the album apart and pieced together the themes into a coherent idea, just as much that Lord had done with herself in the wake of her relationship. And with that, we can finally go track by track and determine the storyline here, discovering why the album is structured the way it is, and how it all works to inform the
1: whole.
2: Green Light may actually be one of the most straightforward songs on the album, and kind of martyrs itself of its meaning in order to set up the melodrama, the emotional center. It's hard to have a story of growth, A building's Roman without a core problem. Somewhere to take the protagonist down to their lowest point. Now, that's not to say that melodrama is a hero's journey, it doesn't nearly have the structure, but it is important to lay the groundwork, and that's largely what this song does. It also has a musical significance that will later be recalled a piano riff that plays in supercut that we'll discuss in a second. More than anything, this is just laying our story. Lord had a hard break. is trying to find a way to move on, the green light. The second song, like we mentioned before though, has us move back in time rather than forward in time. Here she is just starting to deconstruct her relationship, flicking back and fantasizing about a time when they were infinite, so high on substance or each other It's unclear that a fever dream couldn't touch them. Yet we also start to get a first glance into the violence pervasive in the album, and especially this idea of equating each new relationship to a single night, a single moment of a party. Listen to the bridge of the song and notice the move from night to morning. know
1: it's in the morning, you'll be dancing with with us
2: Like oh. lights turned on in a bar at closing time the fantasy is stripped away the relationship sours and all that's left is treason fantasies of leaving She mentions this idea of in the morning you'll be dancing with us but rather than it being a continuation of the party atmosphere the night's tricks she here is referring to the real us the one harshly illuminated by the day the unfiltered, unrose tinted version, the sober one. The party has already fallen apart for Lord here. She can already see the outcome.
1: Our rules, our dreams, we
2: Homemade Dynamite, as we talked about before, is the beginning of the relationship, and is Lord looking retrospectively on how ruined the relationship was from the start, and how self-destructive her life was. There's a spirit of kinship in the song, referencing friends and dreams, feeling like she belongs, but there's a tainting of corruption over the whole thing, culminating in the second verse being a brutally neon description of a drunk driving accident, capping off with the, I guess we're partying shrugging off the violence as merely a risk that you have to take with love and life. The song is repetitive and chill, moseying along with sure pace, even including a subversive and somewhat childish explosion sound that Lord makes near the end of the song. Here, she is romanticizing the situation because, at least at that time, she felt invincible. But we move on from one of the most repetitive songs on the album to one of the most tender in the Louvre. Rather than the fantasy of the party, she instead has moved on to reminiscing about the wildfire love that she experienced for her ex, full of its ups and downs, but truly passionate. For the first time on the album, however, we hear Lord actually mention violence, in reference to her own heart. This is not a love song, this is a grief song. We can actively hear this in the post chorus, where she beckons the listener to listen to that heartbeat and dance to it, but it's not danceable. It's somber and muffled like beats heard underwater. Take a listen.
1: Broadcast the boom 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 and make them all dance to it. Broadcast the boom boom, boom, boom and make them all dance to it.
2: She longs for the highs of the relationship, the simple things like overthinking their punctuation use but is actively highlighting how disruptive it was and beginning to see the true nature of that specific party, the three-year night with him. She has not finished this process, though, as we hear her talk in the present tense and constantly contradict herself, saying that she knows you are not my type, but rationalizing that love is fine and that he should just move in close to me.
1: They say you're a little much for me you're a liability you're a little much for me
2: so we've moved from the end of the relationship to the fantasy that it wasn't over to the justification that it wasn't that bad to begin with to the beginning of understanding of the true toxicity and now here to liability a song absolutely loaded with depression she has made the logical leap here in her deconstruction that she is not just lost to him, but lost to everyone around her. Just like the last song, the violence here seems to be largely coming from within herself. She has labeled herself, or been labeled, a liability, a danger to herself and others. She has curled up into herself, and we hear a refrain of the relationship night, post-relationship day idea with, I know that it's exciting running through the night, but every perfect summer's eating me alive. This references the bright, illuminating days that offer no reprieve from the truth. The fact that she is in heartbreak and alone, with no clouds to grant even a bit of cover. The perfect summer day is her nightmare here. But we get another dichotomy at the end, another almost oxymoron. She repeats the line, They're gonna watch me disappear into the sun. Twice, soft, like reassurance. This could be interpreted as a reference to self-harm or worse, but rather if we look at the sun imagery as truth and inevitably development or growth, this becomes more of a threat to those who left to dwell back in that night, that she will embrace that truth and become one with it and grow to be better. And in hard feelings, she is getting better. Listen to the second verse, especially the beginning.
1: I light all the candles Flowers for all my rooms. I care for myself the way I used to care about you. These days we I
2: care for myself the way I used to care about you. This is a tender song as well, echoing the acoustic softness of the Louvre. But this is not about grief. This is a redirection. This is about reframing the relationship as one that had an indelible mark on her life but one that is finally and truly finished. This is her acceptance song. She is allowing herself to feel the pain, the hard feelings of love, when the sweet words and fevers all leave us right here in the cold. There's still longing in her words, wishing she believed the love she had, but she knows and is convincing herself that it is time to go. Again, we hear imagery of midnight and recognizing its effect on her, drowning her, making her wonder what the point is, an idea that's echoed later, and the idea of letting go of an endless summer afternoon, referencing the moment they met, that transition of passion and love that she kept playing over and over in her head before it went sour. She is letting go of not only the bad, but also the good, accepting it is over. However, this isn't the whole story here. Hard Feelings has a bonus song called Loveless, A poppy, bouncing tag that is juxtaposed against violent and critical lyrics. She turns the violence away from just herself, highlighting the war between herself and him, a moment of anger at everything. Listen to the beginning section of Loveless. Bet you want to rip my heart out, because I'm going to mess your life up, all fucking with our lover's heads. She is rapidly cycling between blaming herself, blaming him, and blaming, well, her entire generation and society as a whole for creating this culture of toxicity. The song peters out of this section with no resolution, a turn in the album toward a darker sense of violence. She had grown and built herself out of the relationship so now all that's left is to rail on the self-perpetuating system that led her down that hole in the first place. And how fitting, then, that the next song is Sober Too," or alternatively called Melodrama. This is the title track, where she repeats over and over and over again that this was Melodrama. But this is satirical. This is not sensationalized to elicit an emotional response. This is actually what happened. This isn't melodrama, it's drama. It's a horrid, terrible drama with all the glamour and the trauma, all the gunfights and the limelights. The nights blend together, no break between them. She is cleaning champagne glasses in the evening, possibly to begin again in just a few hours. The violence is no longer passion or self-harm, It's painful and threatening and directed towards each other. They kiss and kill each other, breaking each other down in a twisted antithesis to the idea of molting we discussed earlier, a cycle of passion and connection followed by heartbreak and self-destruction endlessly repeating. And in some ways, this breaks us from the idea of a universal heartbreak story. Lord, up to this point, has been navigating a line of familiarity with normal heartbreak and the pain it causes and the attempt to build from it. But here, we hyper-focus on a single microcosm of generational pain. This endless night of partying and sex and drugs and nonsense is not a worldly experience. This is about her. Some people may share her struggles, but she found herself caught in a period of change that saw her become no better. No shedding her skin to grow but rather taking punches and slashes like she had a portrait of herself molding away on her wall. And this is her warning, her plea.
1: I am my, I love you till my breathing stops. I love you, till you call the cops on me.
2: But all of a sudden, here, we stop, with Ryder in the dark. As if silenced or moved or merely exhausted, she calms down. Her anger is no longer flared, and she instead refocuses on her relationship, but she's lost some of her growth, or rather redirected it. The song sees her talk about her obsession, loving him until her breathing stops, until you call the cops on me, but then calling against it, I'll find a way to be without you. She even boldly states that she loves it here since I've stopped needing you. However bright the message is of self-care here, though, it comes tinged with darkness, And this darkness never subsides. Her story never completes. And in Supercut, she never finishes moving on. She falls back into the rhythm. She turns back into the harm, painfully clawing at the hope of being your violent overnight rush. Knowing that it's all over does not help her here. She's still caught in the same cycles, pretending to be in the relationship in the present tense. Listen to the chorus of this
3: song.
1: Crush. Be your
2: She's fallen back into the dark, replaying the moments of her past in slow motion, refusing to move on. We can even hear the piano riff from Green Light. She hasn't found that green light yet. She's still stuck there, waiting, cycling. And we fall down into the echo chamber of the liability reprise.
1: Much for me. You a little for me, no, 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 no.
2: It's disjointed here at the beginning. A poor copy of the original chorus, corrupted and scattered before falling into a soft, tender justification. She states that maybe that's all there is. This party, the nights that blur together, and maybe the only way for her to live is to do so violently, to live in this toxic environment, because maybe, just maybe, she'll find that love again. But in this darkness, this swirling vortex of self-destruction as the album grows dimmer, she does find a moment of lucidity, of clarity. The words... But you're not who you thought you were.
1: were. She sings
2: them four times slowly, a mantra, a signifier of change. She has begun to fall into this dark place again, but she looks at herself for a moment and realizes that she has changed. She has molted shed the skin that had become tattered and frayed from the scarring and bruising of her life and relationships. She is no longer a liability, and it's possible she never was one to begin with, merely thinking that she was. And this is the melodrama. This is the break point. This is the moment of realization that the violence was self-perpetuating, that the cycles were self-destructive, and bound to a rhythm that she was caught up in and not made of. Her life and loss, the little deaths she endured, were a product of the situation, of the world around her, and not of herself or something that was wrong with her. She is not the poison, but was merely acting poisonous.
1: Every night I live and die. Feel the party to my bones Watch the wasters, the speakers, my guts beneath the outdoor light it's just
2: grace. and finally we reach perfect places a song that totally ruins everything that we just thought she learned except maybe it doesn't perfect places is wildly overblown This is an encapsulation of the critical nature of her viewpoint. This is a retrospective, told from within, from present tense, that describes this whole process. The living and dying of each night. Another graceless night that blurs together. The song is dripping with violence, with references to spill my guts beneath the outdoor light, blow my brains out to the radio in very self-aware sentiments. And knowing we just said this, all in all, this is the melodrama. This song is melodramatic, but in doing so, it highlights everything that she is trying to wrap up. She is performing the party, laying it out as clear as day to showcase the bombastic, ruinous nature of it all before finally detonating it in a final few lines. All the nights spent off our faces, trying to find these perfect places, what the fuck are perfect places anyway? She knows that she isn't completely out of it, but in one final moment, she's taking a second to turn back toward the camera and break the fourth wall, asking, what's the point of all of this? Who does this help? And with that, we reach the end of Melodrama. The songs have played out. Lord has grown, but imperfectly, and there's no reason to suggest that she should have grown perfectly. The album is not about being perfect, because what does that even mean? What even is perfect? But through the lens of her heartbreak, Lord has turned melodrama into a revolt against participating in a hostile and indifferent world. In an altered light, if Lord had been writing this in the midst of heartbreak, these would likely be very different songs. Yet instead, Lord is writing these from the future, where the pain is abstracted and broadened into a tapestry of broken glass and dance floors. Instead of directing the violence toward a lover she had been spurned by, she turns the violence toward the danger of the act, the sharp Kafkaesque metamorphosis into another version of herself, one that eventually began to learn to care about herself. And in doing so, she lays the stage for inviting others to join her in turning against violence and self-destruction, Turning away from cutting away at yourself and others with lies to conceal truth in the hopes of some facsimile of perfection, and rather turn to self love and the search for significance to yourself in an indifferent and hostile world. Final lesson from melodrama is you have to learn to care about yourself.
1: These are what they call heart feelings of love. When the sleepers and 1st I'll leave us right here in the cold. Oh, oh. Along
2: with the heart feelings of love. Stick around after the break for a conversation with my friend and Lord fan Haley about what Lord and others have said about the album. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Throughline. We just got done talking about the breakdown of melodrama. And now we're going to talk a little bit about what other people have said about the album, what Lord has said about the album. And I have a very special guest today, my friend and Lord fan, Haley. Uh, welcome.
0: Hi, thanks for having me.
2: Of course. Yeah, I definitely thought like we had just talked about it. We had just <laughs> talked about me doing melodrama on the podcast. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to see her.
0: Yeah, it was. um, I was very excited to see her. We actually bought tickets before the newest album even came out, because that's how much trust I had in her putting on a good show. And she delivered it was one of the most beautiful concerts I've ever been to. Um, I saw her at Radio City Music Hall, which was my first time there. And that the venue plus the atmosphere and the environment that she like creates was just absolutely magical my friend that I went with cried for about (laughs) 80% of the show, which was fun. (laughs) But yeah, it was just, it was a really, really special, special concert.
2: She has a, a, quite a gift to kind of be very vulnerable, but also be very fun.
0: (laughs) Yes. I think it's honestly a little bit because of how awkward she is. She's like, yes, I've heard about (laughs) that. (laughs) She's, super like goofy she's comfortable in her own skin yeah. but like in an almost uncomfortable way yeah um i love it
2: yeah especially now in solar power era where she's yeah like, done all of the growth and she's like
0: she's happy finally yeah.
2: <laughs> which kind of leads us into this album where she was very decidedly not happy
0: <laughs> uh-huh i would agree with that i i told you I thought about this album I played it over and over and over trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to say and like what it was that kind of really spoke to me as it being something special I kind of came to terms with the fact that two-part each song really feels like has the ability to produce like a really intense visceral memory of a place or time that that's where I was that I felt Like the songs make me feel, but like you said about it being unhappy, like it feels like all my worst relationship memories, but in a really nostalgic and kind of beautiful way that I don't even know how she accomplishes that, but she does.
2: Yeah, and I mean she was (laughs) she was the age that she's writing about at the time of writing it too. There's a
0: hundred percent. I think that that's so special and so huge because this is that's one of the worst periods of time ever you know like when you're
2: like a young adult (laughs) like navigating your first heartbreak yeah Yeah. so
0: vulnerable and all of the emotions are so huge and like heartbreak is the most devastating thing and everything that goes wrong is it feels enormous and everything that goes right feels enormous and you feel like you're in love like you will never be again and then you're broken and everything's a mess and i really think that um she's one of the best at writing in such a open and honest way about that i i would almost compare it with olivia rodrigo currently right. um her album and how just like those lyrics might not necessarily be the most poetic but it's honest and real in a way that is amazing. Um, Right.
2: Yeah. And that's kind of like one of the things that I talked about a little bit in the middle of the episode where she's not so much trying, like she is being deep, but that's not necessarily the whole point. Like this idea of melodrama is like a emotional study. Like it is, An attempt to exaggerate these emotions and things like that to appeal to those parts of us that experience those things. And, And melodrama historically was used a lot in coming to terms with relationships and things like that. So it makes a lot of sense.
0: Absolutely. And I don't want to turn this into like, but realistically, historically, young women's feelings have not been taken as. It's like, oh, you're being dramatic. You're being Oh yeah. Like to have somebody be like, Yeah, I am being dramatic, but that's because that's what's important to me and to others that feel the same way as me is enormous, I think. Right. Without it being like in your face, you're sexist, whatever. Like (laughs) it really is almost a it's not a protest, but it almost kind of is to be saying, No, this is something important and while it may be dramatic and it may be explo- like that doesn't make it any less important.
2: Right. I was, I'm curious then like what were some of the, cause you talked about, you were writing some things about some of the songs. What were some of the songs that kind of stu- stood out for you on the album then?
0: Um. Yeah. So I am going to share two songs that kind okay. of have like very specific memories and places in my past that they like take me to.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: One of them is sober it's not even like there's not even any metaphorical aspect of this. It really (laughs) is just like, I, it takes me back to being in really kind of like a toxic relationship with this person who we were getting, you know, drunk every night and partying and then going home together and like insisting on each other, paying attention to each other when we're out and all of this stuff. And in No aspect were there any promises of anything more than that, but the reality of waking up in the morning and having it be not not reciprocated that I thought that it would be more. Sure. And I just continued to put myself into these incredibly toxic experiences. And like it was so just self-destructive and continuing to drink more than I should have and do other things more than I should have in attempts to get this person to pay attention and continue paying attention and continue to like me and continue all of this stuff. Right. I mean, this is so embarrassing to even admit, but like, (laughs) I'd be like, oh, somebody referred to you as my boyfriend today, LOL. And like, he'd just laugh. And like, that's so upsetting. Why did I continue to go back to that, you know?
2: But you were just kind of caught up in the-
0: Absolutely. and. The fantasy
2: of it more than anything.
0: A hundred percent. And like, you see things in a completely different light when you're having fun and all of that than you do in the morning and in the daylight and like looking at the realistic- what you're putting yourself through right so that's that
2: and that's the, yeah that's super interesting because you're talking about like going to these parties and doing all of these things and then the realization of the morning and the illumination of all of that and that's mirrored in the album like sober has a companion song called sober Two, where she is just saying like Yeah, this sucks.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And I think that being able to kind of take a step back from it and be like, wow, that is not who I am anymore. And thank God for that is the growth of that is it's enormous. And it having this album to look at that my own personal encounter of that through it like it allows me to to feel proud and recognize that growth
2: right yeah i mean this is an album about growth and it is in that kind of imperfect growth though where you're realizing that not everything is going to be 100 percent the same or 100 percent okay and knowing that like yeah but i'm still changing i'm still developing and some of that change is good and and even no matter how little it is changes is good.
0: Absolutely, I don't even know who I was last week. <laughs> let alone three years ago, ten years ago.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm always wondering if I'm ever going to get to the point where I'm not noticing myself changing.
0: <laughs> I hope not, because I think it's a fascinating thing to look and be like, I. I mean, who was that person? I don't know. Right. <laughs> um, I think it's really, really special. Yes. My, the other song that I'm going to talk about is um, Liability.
2: Right. Okay. That's a heavy one.
0: It is. uh, It's one of
2: the most depressing (laughs) songs on the album.
0: (laughs) Yes. Not that I'm going to like tell a horrible, depressing story. Sure. (laughs) But no, I mean, I, I had a long distance relationship and
2: those are always hard.
0: Oh, it's, you know that as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bummer. However, I was in this relationship and he called me while I was having a panic attack and drunkenly told me he loved me, which oh, good. <laughs> inspired me to cry even harder. And then the next day he sent me a text breaking up with me. Um, that's, so, a, that's
2: a lot of whiplash.
0: <laughs> Yes, it is. But it really, really inspires. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, what was was I too much? What is what was too much? Um, Right. The fact that I had this personal thing happening and the next day that was that was it like it. Called into so much, like, okay, so can anybody ever love me truly if I'm like dealing with this on my own? Right. And bringing this into a relationship? Like, do I have to be perfect? Can I be perfect? And then obviously, nobody is perfect, can't be perfect. Yeah. And it just kind of went into a major, like, self destructive spiral for a couple months. But when that ended, and I was incredibly fortunate to have some people in my life at the time who really kind of allowed me to have that spiral. But then we're like, hey, come back to us.
3: Yeah, let's, yeah. <laughs>
0: let's not do that anymore. And I was able to, from there, grow so much and learn so much about myself and what I wanted and didn't want in life in mm. for myself in all of these different aspects. And it was really, I think a blessing in disguise. Sure. But it was incredibly hard to come to terms with like, like I said, what part of me is too much? That is, what is it that's like, doesn't make it worth fighting for right and that's where i go with the song
2: but yeah again interesting because this song also has that
0: partner
3: <laughs>
2: song later in the album like in liability she's talking about like oh she's pushing all of her friends away none of them want to hang out with her uh, yeah. because she's toxic and she's falling apart and self-destructive totally and then liability reprise she's like hey this isn't <laughs> really my fault
3: <laughs> yeah
2: like Society kind um, of sucks, and I'm just kind of a product <laughs> of that
0: <laughs> yeah i I think that it shows that like when you're in the moment and you can't really look past the experience that you're having, it's impossible not to think that it's all on you and to blame and to turn it into even more than it actually necessarily has to be. But when you are able to be removed a little bit and look back and do whatever it is that you need to do, that's when you kind of are able to forgive yourself and just acknowledge that like, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do this. I, whatever it was was not because of anything that I could have changed.
2: Yeah. And there's this just kind of wonderful aspect of self-love and self-care that starts to grow throughout the album. And it's still imperfect. Like it's 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 talking about like, yeah, it's it's going to be rough and things are going to suck. And sometimes you're going to be alone in a sucky way and sometimes you're going to be alone in a good way. And it's just kind of embracing the times where, yeah, you might be alone. But absolutely. Might not be that bad. And that's kind of one of the things she says. Like, there's a quote from the New York Times story about her called The Return of Lord by Jonah Weiner, where she says that it's not a breakup album necessarily. It's it's a record about being alone, the good parts and the bad parts.
0: That's really beautiful. Yeah. No, I think that being alone and coming to terms with how to be alone is a huge part of growing up. Right. I used to be one of those, like, can't go to the bathroom alone, can't do X, Y, Z alone. And I moved to Spain when I was 19 and lived there for a couple of months and didn't know anybody in the country, didn't speak the language very much. I lived with a Spanish family and I was so anxious about like going out to lunches by myself and I re- realized in doing that, like the joy of sitting in a coffee shop with a notebook or going to see a movie by yourself is one of the most freeing, wonderful things <laughs> in the entire world. Right. But there really is a beauty that comes when you realize like, nobody is actually watching me or acknowledge it. Like nobody else cares. They don't care yeah. that you're alone. You care that you, that they're thinking about you, but they're not. Like, right. <laughs> nobody is thinking about you as much as, you are.
2: Everyone's got their own right. shit going on. <laughs> exactly,
0: And having that realization and being able to like really relish in the freedom of being alone is a beautiful development in right. yourself. I
2: love that. That's kind of one of the, the things about pop music that I think is so special because... Pop music, it doesn't try to be anything that it's not a lot of the time. And so you get these kind of like, hey, yeah, we're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about life, about being alone, about just kind of like all of these generally melodramatic, dramatic concepts. Without any like guff, like we're gonna lay it out, and you're gonna be able to be like, oh yeah, that's me. I relate really well to that. And pop music's one of those things that like has that relatability that a lot of other things don't have.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's called pop for popular for a reason. Right. <laughs> I absolutely agree. I think you and I both came from a similar background of like being kind of like, I'm above pop music.
2: Yeah, p- pop, uh, pop's dumb. I, have a I hate the radio. Superior
0: <laughs> music taste to everybody else. right Um, the reality of that is like all of your other little bands whatever might be putting so much goddamn work into sounding cool and different and hip and whatever but like who can actually relate to any of
3: that
2: right well like my favorite band for example my favorite band is typhoon and they're wonderful. They're super musical and stuff like that, but they're not that relatable. I mean, they have a concept album about a guy who has Alzheimer's and he's constantly like, quoting Federico fellini like the old french filmmaker and like flowers for algernon and i'm like this isn't accessible music <laughs> like well, you have to I'm, like sit down and digest this
0: i'm thinking like like neutral milk hotel oh, okay. where like each song like the lyrics are a poem for sure but like what the fuck is any of that <laughs> saying for real
2: right yeah, there's a lot to like dig into. And sometimes sometimes you want something that really is anchored into what you're feeling. Like a lot of people feel like listen to music to match the mood that they're in so they can gain yes. some connection to what they're going Absolutely.
0: through. Absolutely, And I really think that dismissing the fact that just music can also just be fun. Sure. Is incredibly reductive yeah it really is and like there can be so much said in it like in this album but at the same time there can be just like there's nothing like the experience of sitting in front of a mirror playing some like old pop hit to go to a bar yeah i think that that is a million times more fun than the actual experience at the bar a lot of the time
2: <laughs> right
0: and that can Lord be all that at it this it is point. <laughs> I think that that's absolutely, it's important to not just say, oh no, it's pop music and therefore it doesn't matter. And I mean, one of my favorite arguments to have is about what even the definition of pop music is, because when we look at it historically, most of it has, it was four repetitive notes, four or five repetitive notes. It was two to three minute long songs. It was incredibly repetitive choruses and very short verses. And within that, you can pull, I mean, the Ramones, who were one of the founding fathers of punk music, a lot of their songs, and I'm saying this with no disrespect to the Ramones, they're one of my favorite bands, but a lot of their music would be under that classification more similar to to bubblegum pop than it would to punk
2: i actually believe that a lot of people would be surprised by how many of the songs like a lot of people especially people that are like oh pop music's dumb i haven't listened to the radio in x number of (laughs) years like a lot of them would be surprised that like oh yeah well some of the music that you listen to probably by all definition is pop music
0: (laughs) absolutely and i think it's incredibly narrow-minded to be like "Mm, nah so it's a little frustrating in that sense, but I also, once again, going into this, think that a lot of hatred for its pop music again comes from the fact that, like historically, things that teenage and young adult women like right. is very frequently like dismissed. cast aside, dismissed. Like, no, it's not cool. It's not whatever. But I don't. That's also not fair.
2: Right. Like, like the whole like oh teenage girls they they don't know what's good
0: exactly but there's an entire group of people who i think would their millions and millions of dollars would disagree with that claim (laughs)
2: right Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said about popularity alone. Like Lord has a, an incredibly large fan base and oh, the yeah. things that she writes about are real to them. They're things that they go through and dismissing her as just like a pop artist and saying like, oh, the things that she said, it's all empty and stuff completely throws away any of the lessons or any of the things that they took away from the music. Like millions of people. She has 4 billion streams on Spotify. Like all of those people, like they're just, their opinion doesn't matter? (laughs) Like...
0: 100%. To build off of that, I I don't know if you're on her mailing list, but she actually sent out an email today and there's a sentence in it that says, I met Annie B for a drink in New York and she kept talking about what she called the chanting. All of singing every word of every song with me it isn't normal all my colleagues whose first tour it is with us are in disbelief like they really know every word
1: right. and you do
0: when i read that i was like oh my god i have to because that absolutely like was my experience but the fact mm-hmm. that that was her experience in every single venue in every single city across the country that she toured across the world i don't know I that's, got to the to world feel tour. that's got,
2: to, got feel to feel amazing that's got
0: to feel amazing <laughs> but that wouldn't be the case if her words were not universally acknowledged experiences you
2: know like she's saying something that obviously resonates like
0: exactly no it's amazing
2: the the reddits like she has like a a subreddit or whatever and it's just like all of these people like gushing about her and like all and like theorizing about the album like oh i think it's like this or i think it's like this and it's it's something that you can't ignore like and as long as they're using that power for good using that power (laughs) to say something and even and even not even say something even just to be like oh yeah we're having fun fun is good the world sucks (laughs)
0: exactly no 100 percent. i think it really is such a powerful thing that this album has created
2: right yeah um and and with that actually i think i want to just like i found this album review on pitchfork um by stacy anderson which i think caps off the album really well and like describes it really well and she's kind of like matching a little bit what i'm trying to say but I, yeah, I just think this is a really good culmination of everything so far. Yeah. Melodrama is Lord's study of being a young woman finding her own conviction in unsteady circumstances. Sometimes this also involves being single. But romance is only part of the album's script. In the difficult, exhilarating course of the record, written largely when Lord was 18 or 19, her true reward comes with her embrace of self. As a nod to her clearest pop forebearer, her peace is in accepting that she will sometimes end up dancing on her own. I love that yeah it's a it's a beautiful encapsulation of the record and it just kind of like it goes to show how connected she is uh, she was and still is to that kind of like young adult zeitgeist
0: (laughs) absolutely and i think that the fact that each of her albums is so beautifully different from each other as well uh, like Clearly demonstrates her growth as an individual towards becoming a happier version of herself. And I like it's represented in the music as well as the lyrics. And I think that that's just so special.
2: Yeah. I, I think that's a really good kind of like wrap up on the album. And Thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: Of course. Is there anything that you want to like plug or anything like that before <laughs> we sign off?
0: Um, I'm between passion projects right now, but I am on Instagram. It okay. is Haley knew it. That's spelled H-A-Y-L-E-Y-K-N-E-W-I-T. And I post silly things on there sometimes so sometimes some artwork and whatnot silly
2: is good (laughs) silly is good especially now
0: yeah exactly and if you dive deep enough there's some lord uh, tour pictures so
2: perfect all right well Thank you so much for joining us uh, and thank you everyone for listening. We will catch you back in two weeks when we cover Probably Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. But until then, just remember, not liking something doesn't make you cool. Thank you so much. (laughs)